is a God thing. I mean, we thought, what a, what a cool way to start a new series that we're going to be talking about. Um, and uh, honestly, this is something that we kind of jumped into with both feet. And I don't think, I'll just confess right now, I really wasn't prepared for what God had in store for us through this adventure. Um, but I'm eager to see what he does with it. I believe if we can grasp, you and I, I mean, if we can grasp what he's trying to teach us through his word, um, we can be transformed and be part of his transformation of the world. We spent the last several weeks talking about First Peter and transformation. And uh, I think this is going to be turned t- towards like uh, obedience and response, you know, maybe. But this idea in this new series is called Be Contagious. It's actually... Um, written uh, based on a, a, a curriculum that is uh, called Becoming a Contagious Christian, I believe. Let me see how things can work. Yeah. Um, Becoming a Contagious Christian, communicating your faith in a style that fits for you. Uh, someone, uh, when we started looking at this material, someone uh, went to a bookstore and they said, oh, that's from like 1970-something, which shows you how quickly ideas fall out of favor these days. Um, actually, the material was originally written in 1995, 1995, um, by Mark Middleberg and uh, Lee Strobel, who you probably have heard of before, and then was kind of revamped in its current format in 07, 2007. Now, I'll tell you how we came about this, is because we were kind of um, praying for a direction in the new year and didn't really have the first Peter thing in mind yet, and this kind of kept coming up as a, as a great opportunity for us to engage in the Word. So, so we chose to do this. We're going to do, uh, by the way, family groups uh, are based on the same material, and it's going to be six weeks, and so we're going to spend six weeks in this Be Contagious material, and then six weeks in this um, self-developed material that, that Steve Hampshire has been working on uh, that's going to be really good stuff. It's going to be right from the Word of God, um, and I can't say much more than that except that it's going to be very much the same kind of mindset about having eyes to see what God is doing all around us, okay? And so, um, so that's kind of where we're heading with this, this, uh, these two-week series. Now, I'll say this. If you aren't in a family group, you can sign up today. They start this week. Sorry for the confusion on that. They actually kick off this week. Family groups do. So if you're not in, you're not too late. You can sign up today. You can jump in a family group. Um, this is going to kind of be a one-two thing of this series. So don't think because you're here on Sunday mornings that you will, you'll hear the same stuff at family groups. And don't think because you're at family groups you're going to hear the same thing as we hear on Sunday mornings. That's not going to be true. Um, what it's actually going to do is we're going to talk kind of generally about things on Sunday morning, and then we're to get very specific with different scriptures on, on uh, family groups. I think they're meeting uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, there are four groups meeting, plenty of room. So if you have not signed up yet, sign up today. If you have questions, ask Steve Hampsh, um, and he'll be glad to answer questions you have about this semester. And so, so, um, so this whole idea of being a contagious Christian is kind of, is kind of like, or becoming contagious, right? We just came out of a season where I think we all understand now what contagious means, Right? Um, I, I feel like uh, sometimes you go through the whole winter, and winter's in St. Louis with your elbows up, you know what I mean? Just defending yourself uh, from all the illnesses and sicknesses, and I know that many of you have been um, dealing with those. So we have a real understanding, we have a real understanding for what it means to be contagious in the negative sense. You know, don't, don't give it to me. There's a positive side to this as well. There's something that's true that whenever you have it, you grasp it, you wholeheartedly understand the, the truth of it, it becomes infectious. That's another word, right? Same thing as contagious. It means it, it just boils out of you. It comes from the inside out. 
And that's what we're going to talk about when we talk about being contagious, something that we understand so deeply and profoundly that we can't help but let it out. It will work itself out of our lives in every way. And so that's what we're going to talk about. But as we jump into this, um, I want to kind of confess something on the front side. And that's, uh, we're going to talk about the E word, right? And um, the, the E word, if you're not in church, if you've not been in church very long, you probably don't even know what that is. You probably don't care what that is. If you've been around church for a while, right? The E word might mean a lot of things to you. Um, but specifically, we're going to talk about evangelism. And evangelism is a very churchy word, for the record. So if you don't know what evangelism is, that's okay. It's a very, like, insider word. Uh, as a matter of fact, we hear the word evangelical a lot, thrown around for good and for bad in the media. But I want to kind of walk through quickly, and then we're going to get into the word, and walk through some kind of ideas that we've maybe gotten wrong about evangelism. And, and I'll confess that these are kind of my, my mindset, because I, I, I have to share with you that this is one of those words when someone says to me, I, I right away kind of tense up, you know? I right away kind of feel like I get defensive, you know? Um, I, I feel like they're asking me to do something that, I'm not, that, that maybe I don't want to do. I feel like they're asking me to be somebody I, I, I don't want to be. And I'm not sure what they even mean by it because everyone means something different. I'll tell you a story. One time I had a gentleman who came up to me and he was really excited because he wanted to finally get out in the community and share the gospel. And his idea of doing that was to go up to complete strangers, knock on the door, and ask them, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Now, that's a great question, but I'm not sure how many people open the door and want to hear that asked. As a matter of fact, this person, who I respected greatly, gave me a card, and he typed everything out I had to say except for my name, where he put name. And I told this, this gentleman, I said, I said, I love you. There is no way I can do this. I cannot do this, right? And, and so we, we kind of modified it. But I tell you what, that obedience to doing something bore fruit in spite of my reluctance. That obedience bore some fruit, listening to God's spirit. And so when we talk about evangelism, I'll walk through a few things, what it is and what it's not, and we'll jump right in, or what it's not and what it is. And here, this is my list. You'll have your own, I'm sure. You can make your own list of what it is. Matter of fact, if you're in a family group, I think you're going to do that this week. But here, here we go. Evangelism is not a way to grow your church, okay? And, and, and I'll focus on that first because, you know, this is the big thing as a pastor, I feel like. If you talk about evangelism, every, you know, my cynical mind always goes to, yeah, you just want a bigger church. No, see, we're missing the boat. If we think it's about growing our church, your church, this church, that church, it's not the purpose. The purpose of evangelism is not to grow your church. And like I said, pastors are kind of the worst culprits of that one right there. Let's have an evangelism campaign. Why? More seats, more stuff. No. That's not what God's after. The second is this. Evangelism is not a way to get others to act like you. Now, here's the big problem. A lot of the work that's been done, especially early missionary work, um, was about making people like us. So you would show up, and you would change their clothes first, and you would change their houses first, and you would change their stuff first, and you would change their behavior first, and you do all this stuff first to get them to act like you, so that finally, at some point, you might get around to saying, by the way, Jesus is trying to save you. Okay? And the purpose of evangelism is not to make others look or act like you. This is the problem. I'll tell you why. Because a church that's doing evangelism should always have people in it and around it who it's completely uncomfortable with. I'll tell you something. I have a conviction that we should stand together as those who are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ and say, were it not for Jesus and his death on the cross, I would never be caught dead with this person. 
It's not about finding people who are like us, who agree with us, who are going to do what we do and act like we act so that we can finally have our little comfort zone. It's not about that. It's not about getting people to act like you. As a matter of fact, there's a biblical word for others acting like you. And you know what it's called? Hypocrisy. Jesus used it. He didn't like it. Hypocrisy means to act like someone you are not. Jesus never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever asks us to pretend to be someone that we're not. The third thing, evangelism is not a way to compete with other Christians. You know, one of my early experiences with evangelism of sorts was um, we had an opportunity to go in to pray the sinner's prayer with people. And I went back and I was really shocked by, there was joy in the room. And don't get me wrong, I know I'm coming from the wrong side of this equation in some ways and may God change my heart. But when I went into the room, the excitement wasn't that, praise God, someone came to Christ. The excitement was that I got seven. How many did you get? You know what I mean? It's like they had their, their, their notches on their belt for the kills they had you know, accumulated. There was no concern for the joy of someone receiving Christ to my ears, to my eyes. It seems so selfish. And you see, evangelism is never, ever about being selfish. It's about others. So if that's not what it's about, and I hope that, you know, as we get into this, um, if, you're, if you're super excited about evangelism, I pray you would embrace that fully and say, yes, I'm going to dig into this. And if you're neutral, you would kind of just give us some time and see how it works out. And if, and if you're terrified of it, then journey with me and let's see what God does. Okay? Let's journey together on that. So here's evangelism, what it is. And uh, first is, it's just a profound, I would say, the most profound way to show love to someone else. And we're going to talk about that. But the most profound way to show love to someone else is to tell them the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second, and this comes right from the word itself, evangelism is nothing more than bringing good news. That's all it means. The word uh, evangelism or evangelical um, is, uh, is basically the Greek root isn't that very thing. It means good news, bearer of good news. Now, I only say that so emphatically because I feel like some of our responses, mine included, of evangelism being like, oh, you said the E word, is because we don't understand what our call is in evangelism. I wonder if any of you who were maybe um, worked at a company and had to go around at Christmas and tell everyone they got Christmas bonuses. Had a hard time with that. I wonder if any of you who, 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 um, who had something just, you know, incredible, uh, uh, a, a birth in your family, that you couldn't believe God had bestowed this gift of life upon you, had a real hard time to struggle to tell someone else about your new child, grandchild, niece, or nephew. Right? I wonder how many of you, if you earned straight A's on your report card, really struggled to go home and say, all A's again. (laughs) You see, evangelism at its root is nothing more than bringing great news. Oh, this is the best news. And just delivering that. And I tell you, um, that's all it is, bringing good news to others. And the third thing is that um, 
evangelism, this is what we're talking about today too, evangelism is a healthy outflow of a Christian life. A, a normal outflow, outflow of a healthy Christian life. You might say a normal overflow of a healthy Christian life. As a matter of fact, if we aren't going to do the first things first, like we did today with communion, we're never going to feel like evangelizing or feel compelled to evangelize or even be good at evangelizing anyone because we don't even have enough understanding ourselves. Okay? And so with that being said, I want to pray. I'm going to jump right into the word this morning. We're going to dig through it and, and uh, see what God shares with us. Pray with me if you would. This morning, Father God, as we've already entered into your table, we've already entered into your house of praise, we've already come before you claiming you are the mighty God of the universe. Today, Father, we pray you would reveal yourself to our finite minds, to our, our ears that are so hard to hear sometimes, Father, for us, um, and, and to our minds that are just closed to your ways. May we be open to your word. May your Holy Spirit move powerfully through the gospel of Christ that we might be renewed today. We thank you for that work. We give you praise and glory because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we're going we're gonna to jump in here um, and start talking about kind of the, the motivations because the first question you have to ask when you do anything like this is why bother? As a matter of fact, maybe some of you are going, well, I was going to go to family groups, but now I'm not so sure. Why bother, right? Why even trouble myself with it? So we're going to talk today about four motivations for being a... Um, a contagious Christian, or having a contagious faith is more way to say that, probably. So there's four, four things that we're going to talk about. And the first is um, the treasure we have, the treasure we have. Now, this is where we say we have to always start with the first things first. We started commu with communion today. Um, I hope this morning when you got out of bed, you may have started your day by, by praying a prayer before your feet hit the floor. God, today, right? God, today, may I see you, may I know you more. And so we're going to actually turn, if you have your uh, Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. It's in the First Testament. You can see where I'm at. I'm kind of towards the beginning of the book, so you can, you can flip there. If you didn't bring one today, you can grab one of ours, and it's page 259. 259. I'm going to encourage you to read with me as we read the Word of God together and hear what it has to say. Now, this is an interesting story because it's written um, in the First Testament, which is uh, the story of Jesus still. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet it's before his revelation to the world. So um, you have this group of people, the Israelites, and they are following the Most High God, the Most Holy God, and they know that, and yet they keep getting themselves into predicaments. And we find them today in the middle of a predicament of pretty amazing proportions. I'm going to start reading in uh, chapter 6, verse 24. If you're there, read with me. The word says this, Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid, laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. And I just want to stop there because all I want you to understand is a little bit of the background But what we're going to read. The story we're going to read is this. Did you read that they're selling donkey heads for like 80 bucks or whatever that was there? Did you read that? How many of you would be eager to eat a donkey's head? That's terrible. You shouldn't eat donkey heads. That's crazy. Listen, there, what was happening is that the enemy had surrounded them. The enemy had surrounded them on every side in the city. And, and as a matter of fact, um, they... they, they they were, um, they were not prepared for the seizure was coming on them. And, and, and everything got so bad inside. Everything got so bad that people had turned to all kinds of craziness, absolute craziness, trying to survive. 
There was, there was no hope. There was no way. As a matter of fact, one of the things that was happening was the leadership was being compelled to stop waiting for God to do something and do something, right? And so here they sat in the besieged city. The enemy surrounded them on every side, and they were just waiting to either die or be crushed, and they were paying these exorbitant prices for donkey heads and seed pods, or I think another translation says birds, dung, because they needed something. If you don't believe how bad it was that time, if you want to read, you want to read through there, you can. Uh, in verse 28, it says that they had actually resorted to cannibalism in the city because there was no food. They were starving to death. So I'm going to pick up in verse 3 of chapter 7 with me, if you would read and, and, uh, and hear what it says. So here's the story. Here's the setting. The city is besieged. They are starving to death now. There were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. And they had said to one another, why should we stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender ourselves. If they spare us, then we live. If they kill us, then we die. So there's four guys who aren't really allowed. They're kind of stuck in between these two worlds, and, and they're deciding, do we go in the city and starve with everybody else? Do we stay here and die right where we're at? Or do we go and face our enemy and, and, and uh, hope they have mercy of some sort that, that we, can, we can live or we die? There's three options for them. So read what they did. In verse 5, at dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Armenians. Now, I want to remind you again that this is the big, fierce, bad army, right? And they're going to go check out. They're going to go and just go, mercy, you know, save us. They got the white flag. They're going to just try to get saved here. And this is what it says. When they reached the edge of the camp, not one man was there because the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses from a great army. So that they said to one another, look. The king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled in the dusk and they abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and they ran for their lives. So when the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, they entered one of the tents and they ate and drank. And then they carried away silver and gold and clothes and they went off and they hid them in the ground. Then they came back to the camp and they entered into another tent and they took some things from it and they hid them also. So here's the picture. There's this group of, of there's a city full of people who are starving to death. There's these people who are on the fringes who don't know what to do and they're like, we're just going to go for it. We're just going to take a chance. We're just going to risk it. And when they get to the camp of the enemies, God had prepared a table for them that they, they were just, it was abundance. It was unbelievable. I don't know if we can fully imagine what it would be like to walk out of a besieged city into a, a, a tent of our enemy and, and just hoping for mercy. And what you find there is unbelievable grace, unbelievable sustainment. But that's what they found. And so first thing they did is they just ate themselves sick. You know what I mean? It says they ate and drank till they were filled. I, I wonder, can we imagine what the first taste was like? After sitting at the city gate, starving to death, what, what, what did it taste like when they were first there? Eating this food 
that was prepared to, to, to fuel these men who were fighters. And here's these four lepers just completely full. So what they do is they start, you know, they start going, look at all this stuff. And they take some of the stuff and they take outside and they, they bury it. And they come back in and they're like, there's more stuff. And they go, and then they start to look around at this camp that's been completely surrendered because of God's power. I don't know, what would you do? Well, this is the story. This is what it says. In verse 9, these four men then looked at one another and said, what we are doing here is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it all to ourselves. If we wait until daylight comes, punishment will surely overtake us. So let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. And that's exactly what they did. The, the story goes on to say that they ran back to the, to, the, to, the, and to the city, to the king's palace, and they screamed to the guards, the enemy is gone, the enemy is gone. There is food outside the walls. And all of the city eventually all came out and ate. The first principle that we have to talk about, the first motivation of why we should want to share the good news is because of the treasure that we have found. The treasure that we have found. They, they were starving to death, and when they came into the camp of the enemy, they couldn't believe what they finally had, which, by the way, was there for them whenever they were ready to go. They could have sat there for another however long they wanted and wasted away, or they could have gone and be fed by the Lord's provision. And they rushed out there, and they took a, take a chance, and God sustained them. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so we talk about needing to understand the first things first is that you and I have to go there ourselves, you know. You have to have consumed the goodness of God. You have to have tested the waters of his faithfulness. You, you have to have understood profoundly what you had lost before you were found. And then from that place, we might begin to understand that we can't keep this to ourselves, we can't keep this to ourselves. It would be wrong if we waited to tell someone else. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's funny to me, and, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to war against this with you and with God's help, that, that someone said to me early on whenever I came to Christ, and that was a long journey for me to come to Christ, by the way, and, and you know, the, the funny thing was when I came to Christ, I couldn't believe the mercy and grace I found in him. But someone who I loved dearly said to me, hurry up quick and tell people about it, because in about a year, you're going to be useless. I said, what? He said, we see it all the time. People, people come to faith in Jesus Christ and they're so excited and they go out and they tell their friends, you can't believe what's happened to me. I've been completely transformed. And they start to share the gospel, the good news of a God who loves them so much that he would give his only son that they could have eternal life. And they, can't, they just can't get their heads around the reality. They can't share it with enough people. They're so passionate and excited. And then what happens over time is we go, well, everybody knows that. That's that stuff outside there. We can always go there and eat. It becomes familiar. I'm saying, as, as a believer in Christ, it becomes overly familiar to me. I don't know, I don't understand the treasures that I really have in Christ 
Jesus. We can become complacent because of that. And, I, I, and my heart is, rather than saying, let, you know, let's hope we can use people who come to Christ for the first year, let's hope that God uses them, let's hope that God uses all of us. Let's hope that if for you, you've been in church for 20-something years and you've lost your zeal for the gospel, that today you could come again as a sinner who's been saved and you could say, oh my God, you were so good. Restore that passion in me to understand the work you've done. I think we have to be intentional about understanding the treasures that we have given in Christ. By the way, a great way to do that is to read the Word of God. We say this all the time, Family Bible Church, but read the Word of God. Read some of the promises that we have in Jesus Christ. It's revealed to us right here. And you can just understand those and let those simmer and set in your soul. Spend quiet time thinking about the realities that God has for you. So this becomes a normal, a normal habit of ours. My daughter and I last night were, were by God's providence, were reading the story of Ali Baba and the 40 Thieves, which I'd never read before, by the way. That's a crazy story, okay? I was reading my, you know, she's like eight, and I was like, that's terrible. And she knew what some of the words meant, which I was blessed by, because they were scary words. Um, but one of the things that I thought about last night was how, you know, in this cave, there was this treasure and this treasure, and they could go and they could just, they could have just remembered how rich they were. They could have just gone there and just looked at him like, wow, that's so cool, and then gone back out to share with others the abundance they had found. The same is true with us in Jesus Christ. I hope, I pray that we sit at his feet and we wonder, we marvel at the majesty of a God who loved us so much. I hope we can do that. I hope whenever we see a cross, whether it's in the front of the room here or on someone's neck out in public or if it's just dangling somewhere weird or if you see it reflected, I hope for a moment you stop and you just go, wow, the treasures that we have in Jesus Christ. I hope we use those and they'll become useless symbols and purposeless trinkets that we just somehow wish upon. But we can actually understand the great riches we have in Jesus. The last thing I'll say about this is that um, th th there's an enemy, and we shouldn't be deceived. There's an enemy who, who, would, who would want us to be complacent. Don't listen to this. Don't get crazy. Don't believe that you know something that your neighbor or your friend or your coworker needs to hear so that they can have peace with God for the rest of their life. Just take it easy, man. And the enemy's name is Satan. And he longs for us to quit. He just longs for us to quit. May you or I never quit sharing the gospel. Second thing we want to talk about today, motivation for, uh, for being contagious is, is this, this here, um, the, the honor of being an agent of God or the, the privilege of being an agent of God. Now, you know, if you've been here for a while, I say weird things like playing footsies with God. That's my little catchphrase that him and I have. I share it with you. Don't tell anyone else, okay? But there's this thing about when you're doing something that only you and the person you're doing with understands, that's footsies under the table, by the way. That's my, okay, 
um, is that it becomes this more enjoyable experience. If you begin to walk in lockstep with the king of the universe, if you begin to listen to his Holy Spirit, by the way, which is the gift that we've been given, and we can follow him, you begin to have affirmation of the work that he's doing through you and around you and in you profoundly. And you become an agent of God, right? I mean, the word agent there is kind of a funny one to think of like, like dun 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 right, that you think of? That's what I think of, you know? Um, I want like a tuxedo and a cool name, a code name, and I'll be good to go. Um, but, but the idea of an agent is someone who is, who is, who is moved, who is, who is making a difference, who is on task, who is serving, who is listening and obeying. And so this is the pleasure that we have if we, if we are um, sharing with others. The, the passage on this comes from the book of Acts. By the way, I always love to say with the book of Acts that it can be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Apostles, and guess what? You can't tell the difference. Because when the Holy Spirit of God is in the apostles of God, when the Holy Spirit of God is in the people of God, you can't tell, is that God or is it that person? What's going on? And the truth is, it's all those things God's doing. He's working through people, through his spirit, to conform the world to his ways. And, and this is what Acts um, 1 through 8 says. It says, um, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, and he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he's saying, you are going to be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And so this honor of being a, being a witness for Christ is bestowed upon us. We talked last week about how you and I are the church. The church isn't a building or a place. It's, it's the people of God. I hope you hear that again. I want you to hear it today. The church is the people of God. And this is a profound thought. But the reality is when Jesus uttered these words to the, the apostles, he meant it. We said that before. He gave us the responsibility to share the gospel with the world. He says, you will be my witnesses throughout the world. I am sending you. That's what he said. Now, if, if you're like me, you're thinking, there's probably a, a better ways to do this, right? There's probably better people. <laughs> there's people who are better qualified. And, and Jesus says, no, you are my witnesses. I hope we can understand that today, that it was something that he bestowed upon his followers. The truth is that the church of Jesus Christ, the big C church, those who are believers in Christ, are his only plan to share the gospel, now, I know some of you who are theologians will argue with me. You know, God don't need us to do I, I kind of agree with you. Listen, though, I want you to think back through how you came to know the gospel. Were you like in a vacuum tube? There was nobody around you. No one took any risks. No one did anything. Listen, it's handed down person to person, spirit to spirit. It's for 2,000 years that there's this good news about Christ, and we've received it from others. We've received it from the church of Jesus Christ. And that's his plan A, is for you and I to go and to be witnesses throughout all of the uh, ages and all the, 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 um, the world. The, the word of God says that we want to hear those words at some point, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That when our time comes, we want Jesus to say, yeah, good job, you did that. You're obedient. So we can join in that work the honor of being an agent of God. And then the other thing that we hear in, in, uh, in Acts 1-8 is this. 
it comes at the beginning, you see, and we can't get this order wrong here, but it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, right? And you'll remember that this happened in the book of Acts when Peter was speaking. You remember we talked about that before as well. But the truth is that when Jesus saves you, he sanctifies you through the work of his Holy Spirit. And that means that the Spirit is in you and it's, and it's, and it's manifesting itself in your life. And so the power that we have, you know, you're not alone in the fight, Right? I mean, the battle isn't up to us. And by the way, if you're in a family group, you're going to talk about that this week. This not really, we don't, we don't muster all of our power. We let God's spirit work through us. We listen and we obey. It says, when the spirit, when you receive the power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you will be my witnesses throughout all of the ages and all of the areas. That's a beautiful thing. So our effectiveness in being agents of God is completely dependent on him and the Holy Spirit that he provides for us. I pray that you understand that as well. God isn't impressed with all of our ability. He's impressed with our availability. Third thing is this. Third thing that should motivate us to be contagious, uh, have a contagious faith and share with others is the, the reality of hell, Right? And this is something we don't talk about a lot anymore in churches. Um, I'm not sure when the last time, if I've ever even talked about hell, which is, you know, not to my, uh, not to be applauded in me. I believe in hell. I believe there is separation from God, and I believe that Jesus believed it as well. If you would turn in the book of Acts with me, I want to read a passage about hell to you and uh, with you, and then hear what God says through it. It's on page 727 if you have one of our books. If not, you can probably find it in your Bible. It's toward the backside, the gospel. It's all in red if you have a red letter edition because Jesus said it. Hear the word with me today. This is what it says. It's a familiar story, by the way, about a guy who's really rich and a guy who's really poor. And those are just kind of metaphors, so let's hold that out. Here we go, 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. By the way, can we make a little connection here to the story we just read in Second Kings? There's a rich man living inside. There's a poor man at the gate who has sores. He's starving to death. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. And so he called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony here in this fire. Jesus is telling a story about these two men who had different understandings of who God was and what God was doing. And so after, uh, after death, they end up in different sides and, and, and there's this place where the rich man can see the beggar who is at his gate. And so his first response is, he says to Abraham, by the way, Abraham is who? The father of the Jewish faith, right? Abraham is a given name by God. And so he looks up and he says, Abraham, send this person who was at my gate that they might dip their finger and moisten my tongue. I need some relief. You see, Jesus was telling a story about a place that's very real and very unpleasant. That's not even the word. I think if, if we had some understanding of the peril that we are, so are, are in, our souls are in, we would be more motivated 
to share the gospel. And so he asked this first question, can you please do that? Now, I want you to hear what Abraham says. He says in verse 25, Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this, right, besides the fact that he's finding comfort, here, here we go, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from where you are to us. You see, Jesus is telling a story about life after death. Big topic, right? And what, what's the truth of what's happening? And Jesus is telling a story and he's saying, there is going to be a place where we are going to be either together with God or separated from his mercy and grace forever. And that's what he's saying. And Abraham confesses, this is Jesus' mouth, remember that. And he says, Abraham says, even if we wanted to, we couldn't come to you. And even if you wanted to, you couldn't come to us. There is a great chasm that cannot be spanned. I don't know about you, but that kind of scares me. It scares me that there's a reality that we don't often think about in the gospel of Christ, that those who would neglect the very plan of God for salvation would later face his wrath. So Lazarus, having heard this answer and having been all this pain, I want you to see what his second request is because, not Lazarus, but um, um, the rich man. What, what he says here is really telling because he turns then in this moment. He, I want you to remember, he's in agony. He's in pain. He is suffering. He's separated from God. And this is his second request that he makes. He says, then I beg of you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers there, and let him warn them so that they will not also join me in this place of torment. So his second request is, if I can't make it, Send him to warn my brothers about this place. We have in this story from Jesus a story of a person who was completely indifferent to the gospel, completely indifferent to the plan of salvation, completely indifferent to God's ways and God's purposes, completely indifferent to the beggar outside his gate. And in torment, he ends up saying, at least help me evangelize someone else. At least help me share with someone else that there's a way that they don't have to be here with me. I don't know that we think about souls who are lost and who are just right now going, just tell somebody the good news. Just share it. Take a risk. What are you going to lose? How many are crying out today? How many are crying out to us today? to share the gospel. I want to wrap. I want to, I want to read the rest of that, and then we're going, to, we're going to kind of wrap up today. But this is what it says. He says, um, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to the prophets. And he says, no, Father Abraham, I love the way this ends. But if someone from the dead huh, would go to them, then they will repent. And he said, if they don't listen to Moses or the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You see, the story of Jesus is a story of resurrection. And there are still people that go, yeah, right. He's, he's alive again. 
Sure. It wasn't that this rich man didn't have enough information to follow Christ or to follow God. It's that he wasn't willing to listen. One time, there was a great friend of mine, uh, Don White, I've talked about him before. He was one of those spiritual pillars in my early life. He was so encouraging. But one of the stories he told was when he came to faith, he was a young boy here in Highland. And they had a tent revival. And, and, and he said, the preacher preached hellfire and, you know, damnation, just the whole, like, terrifying thing. And he said, I was a little boy. And he said, I accepted Jesus that night. And he said, and I, I ran home so fast, I thought my feet were on fire. Because the devil's going to get me. And you know what he said? This is, this is like in his 80s. Or he was an older man at the time. He says, you know what? I'm not sure that was the best way, but you know what? I was saved. I was saved. Because someone had made that reality known to me. I pray that we can understand the realities that we're facing as souls, and we can be passionate about it. God, forgive us when we're not. The last point, and we're going to end with this, is the last motivation is this, the joy of leading someone to Christ. The joy of leading someone else to Christ is a motivation. If just one time you could have someone look back at you as a follower of Jesus, and they can say, you did it. And, you, and you, you're probably going to be, you know, like, nah, I just did a little. I, I, I don't even know how. Listen, when they look to you and they say, you made a difference. You told me the truth. You loved me when no one else would. You showed me a way that no one else is willing to show me. Well, that's changed your life. That'll change your life. I always remember... Um, I remember whenever I was a, a, a new believer and, and I was excited and then God started to ask harder things of me and I'm like, you know, no, I'm good. You know, I, I don't need to do stuff. And he's like, no, listen, you know, I've saved you. You're going to do some stuff. And I'm like, all right. And that's how we talk, you know, God and I. And, and so I'm doing it cautiously and tentatively and kind of fearfully, kind of, oh, come on, are we doing that? And then at one moment in time, I'm kind of complaining. I'm just kind of whining about how much it hurts or how much it doesn't, you know, it's just not, it just feels foreign to me or whatever, and, and how much it cost. And I remembered the story of the man who shared the gospel with me. By the way, it wasn't one person, it was a whole bunch of people who shared the gospel with me, but this one person was telling me a story. He's my former pastor, how he felt the call of God, and he quit his job, and he packed up his family, and he became a pastor. And I got this burning in my soul. That every time I would ask, is it worth it? How much is this going to cost me? This isn't my plan. Then I would ask the question, how much did it cost someone else? Because I guarantee you, it cost them a lot to share the gospel with me. I know it did. It cost them a lot to love me when I was unlovable. But when you ask the question, is it worth it? It depends on which side of the equation you're on. Because for me, I would say to my brother, it was worth it, man. Because now I know Jesus. 
I hope that you and I can experience that and know that. Now, we're going to wrap up. We're going to ask the band to come back up, and we're going we're to sing a song and, and uh, pack it up today. I pray that if you're not in a family group, we, you probably have more questions and answers right now, right? The family groups is going to be where the rubber meets the road in this whole deal, and you're going to be able to thrash it out. We're not going to try to convince you to think like us or you know, behave like us. Just engage in the Word of God and hear it with us. And um, I, I can't encourage you enough to get involved. What we're going to do here at Family Bible Church is at the end of this series, this first six-week series, we're going to have what we're calling a back-to-church Sunday. You probably heard these if you've been in and around the church at all. But it's just an opportunity. We, we went through a list a few weeks ago, leadership did, of, of people who we love and who we care for, and we're not sure where they are. And I can't be clear enough in saying that this isn't about getting more people here at Family Bible Church. As a matter of fact, if we get people here who need to hear the gospel, and they hear the gospel and receive Christ, and they leave and we never see them again, I will rejoice from now to eternity that they know Christ is their Savior. You understand that? So in, in, at the end of the series, in five weeks, we're going to have a special uh, Sunday. We're just going to really pray, and I ask you to pray about that now, about who God's calling you to bring, who God's calling you to invite. Our family groups are going to go 12 weeks. Someone asking your family groups if you're signed up to pray about who you're going to invite to that following six weeks of family groups. Who needs to know? Who needs to hear? And we're going to leave everything to God. Pray with me if you would today. Father God, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the testimony of those who come before us. Some of them you've written down, and some of those we get to hear with our own ears. We thank you for the faithfulness of your Holy Spirit that compels us forward to share your gospel. We thank you for the gospel of Christ that is saving us every day. Father, we pray that throughout the rest of the series and, 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 and all of our efforts would be glorifying to you for your purpose and your kingdom, and that's it. That we could just lift your name up and see folks be healed. See them return to you. We love you so much, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you love us. In Christ's name, amen.